If you have enjoyed Baker Street 2033, why not consider supporting the second series? Go to ko-fi.com slash neilfitzgerald. That's ko-fi.com slash neilfitzgerald. Your support would be most welcome. A future Sherlock Holmes mystery. The Glass Cryptographer by Neil Fitzgerald. Episode 8, Part 1 The Self Service. late the next morning to find that Holmes had already left on his mission to discover more regarding Alan Roosh's employer. It was with great impatience that I awaited news from him, and, under the glare of the museum visitor's stare and Mrs Hudson's scowl, I used the time to reacquaint myself with the news of the day in the evening standard. I did so through the occult tablet that Holmes had found and cracked into, which, amongst its many applications, operated as a sort of spontaneous publisher of news. One pined for the sedate pleasures of the paper edition, but aside of several well-thumbed museum copies of the standard from 1899, none was to be found. The front page, such as it was, was dominated by trouble in the Far East and rumours of another Sino-American war. In London, the talk was naturally of how any such hostilities would have a grave impact on the stock exchange as well as the likely effect on the sizeable Chinese population now resident in the city. Buried within the pages was a small report of Alan Roosh's murder, filled with the inspector's inflated self-belief of its imminent resolution, all very unlikely given the preliminary nature of her investigation. Murder. Scotland Yard confident of quick result. A 26-year-old software engineer named Alan Roosh was found murdered yesterday in an apartment in Clifton Gardens. The body was discovered by a delivery drone at 5.38pm. The murder weapon has yet to be recovered. Inspector Chatterjee of Scotland Yard, who has a number of important convictions to her name, said, We have several promising leads and are hopeful of an optimal outcome in the immediate future. The assault took place in the morning between 9 and 9.30am. Anyone with information should contact the police. I was browsing through the other sections of the paper when my eyes fell upon an article in the business pages on a forthcoming merger between a publishing enterprise by the name of Anima Imprints and the self-service. The names immediately rang a bell and I reread it with interest, thinking that it might contain clues to the erratic behaviour Alan Roosh had displayed prior to his demise, and perhaps even a motive for his murder. The museum crowd were particularly wearying today as I awaited my friend. I tried to ignore them, but the constant bombardment of Kodak flashes had put me in mind of a particularly ugly night campaign in Afghanistan. To add to my irritation, several of the more uncouth elements had taken to shouting, Elementary, my dear Watson, at me. All very distracting and trying on the nerves, making the time pass even slower. Suddenly something caught my eye among the throng, a new outrage I feared, but it was only an elderly man on a small motorised vehicle asking to cross the cordon in order to meet with me. Mrs Hudson was dispatched to receive his calling card, but he had none. Thinking it could be important, a new client perhaps, or a potential lead in the Rouge case, I beckoned to the guards to let him through. 
He trundled over at a snail-like pace until he was finally stationed opposite me. I don't recall ever seeing anyone quite so decrepit. He looked in a pitiful state with straggling white hair, a large liver spot on one cheek, and a veritable river delta of broken capillaries across his rubicund nose. Please, sir, how can I be of assistance? In what's called Holmes. I want to speak with in what's called Holmes. I'm afraid Mr. Holmes is away at present, but he will be back shortly. Is there anything I can help you with? I have often accompanied Mr. Sherlock Holmes on his cases. Ha! You! You're a doctor, ain't ya? I bristled at his impertinent tone. That is correct, I responded curtly, with evident displeasure in my voice. What does I want with a doctor, eh? Does I look sick to you, eh? No, not exactly. The man's manner bothered me, and I sought for a means to distract him. Some tea then, sir. I don't mind if I does, he replied, and I instructed Mrs Hudson to prepare some. I watched the old man in his feeble state with his shaking hands and glaucous eyes as he helped himself to tea, though I wager more ended up in the saucer than in the cup. After noisily slurping down his libation, he returned my gaze with a directness that made me feel uneasy, and started up once again. I have to see him, Doctor. I have to see him what's called Holmes. It's urgent, it is, he croaked out with vehemence. Life and death. It was quite hopeless. I stood up and paced across the window to look down into Baker Street to see if my companion was anywhere to be seen. My back were kept firmly towards the visitor as a show of my annoyance at his rudeness. I could hear him shuffling about in his motion machine and on hearing him strike a match I had no choice but to turn round and see what he was about. And there was Holmes, sat in the mobile armchair, wreathed in a plume of pipe smoke. Watson, my dear man, whatever you doing by the window? Come and sit down, I have much to tell. Holmes, I exclaimed, I should have known it was you. You have no idea how frustrating it is to move at so sluggish a pace, he said, standing up and stretching himself out to the full. Pray, tell me all your news. Holmes helped himself to a fresh cup of tea and set about regaling his morning's discoveries. I had spent the night pondering on the best means of entering incognito the workplace of Alan Rouche. I have noticed that the world of the crippled is not the miserable existence it once was, as the built environment is now adapted for their incapacitated state. Furthermore, there was a doctor's surgery situated in Soho Skyliner. Here, then, was the perfect means to enter unsuspected the self-service. In contrast to Miss Rouche's assertion that the company was a small affair, the entirety of the 66th floor belonged to the Enterprise, as the automaton on the reception desk informed me, directing me to the elevators. Upon arrival, I found a solitary guard manning the door, who immediately assailed me. Morning, sir. How may I be of assistance? I'm here for the elf service. Can I have your name, please, sir? Admittances by appointment only. Schmiff. Arthur Schmiff. It was a name I conjectured must still be common. Dodgy ticker, I added, patting my heart. The response was instant. I'm sorry, sir. There is no one of that name on my list. I'm here for me ticker, Governor. Schmiff's your name. Could you check again? I replied, trying to bluster my way in with brute persistence. There is no need to recheck. I never err. Oh, yes, because to err is human, I said, clearly chagrined. Is is the elf service, is it not? Yes. So this is where Imswatch 6 should come. 
It is not that kind of health, sir. What kind of health service is it, then? I am not at liberty to discuss that. The conversation appeared to be at a standstill, with no way through the door before me, when a man wearing a laboratory coat appeared at my side. He was an Indian, clearly from a high caste, perhaps even a Raja, with neat square spectacles and a well-trimmed beard. Is there a problem, Jenkins? No, sir. This gentleman says he is looking for the elf service. His name is not on the list and so he is not authorised to enter, sir. The man in the laboratory coat turned to address me. Sorry about this, sir. What's your name? Schmiffshire. Arthur Schmiff. Dodgy ticker, I repeated, again patting my chest. There's no Smith on the list, sir, the automaton reiterated. Is there a Smith, Jenkins? Yes, sir. A Mr. Smith. No first name given. Well? That's Smith, sir. Not Smith. The gentleman sighed and turned to address me. My apologies, Mr. Smith. Literalness is still a problem in some of our models. The algorithm has yet to be fine-tuned to recognise all accents, dialects and other linguistic variants. Let him through, Jenkins. But, sir... Jenkins! Very well, sir. There was a surly, begrudging tone in its voice. The door slid open and I trundled through on my mobile carriage, accompanied by the gentleman. Jenkins is one of our prototype models. The insubordination is a new touch. Authentically surly, wouldn't you say? I reckon I would, I said. I must thank you for your help, sir. Not at all. Dr. Rajasthani at your service, he said, extending a well-manicured hand towards me, which I took in my own with its false frailty. It's me ticker. It's no good. So you require some delightfully novel, automated assistance. Well, you have come to the right place. Do you know what we do here, Mr. Smith? I shook my head. Perhaps it would be easier to show than to tell. This way. He led me down a long corridor on either side of which were well-lit laboratories, some filled with luminous glass facades which people worked on, others which used curious lights to project colour representations of people in three-dimensional space. At the end of the corridor, Dr. Rajasthani showed me into his office where he moved the chairs aside, allowing me to wheel myself before his desk. He then took a seat opposite me. Would you care for a cup of tea, Mr. Smith? Thank you kindly, sir. The doctor pressed a button on a machine on his desk and spoke. Some tea, please, Miss Bennett. A disembodied voice, young and feminine, I thought, responded. Right away, doctor. The doctor smiled beneficently at me, his well-manicured fingers interweaved. I expect you to be impressed, Mr. Smith. You'll see. He was clearly animated about something imminent. In a short while, there was a smart rap on the door. Come in, Miss Bennet, the doctor cried. The door opened and I was astonished to see a beautiful lady in Regency dress walk gracefully in. Her rich chestnut hair was worn in ringlets, and her eyes, her most winning shade of dark brown, seemed to sparkle as she smiled. Not since the woman had my head been so turned by the grace and beauty of a lady. She placed the tray of tea things she had been carrying on the desk. Ah, here you go. Thank you, Lizzie. I was rather surprised by your request to act as your servant given the magnitude of your estate, Dr. Rajasthani. I had rather thought that you must have servants for your servants. It was a delicious Sally Watson, such a dignified and witty reproach. 
To his credit, the doctor entirely approved of it, roaring with laughter and replying that her retort was quite justified. With that, she bade us goodbye, flashing me another entrancing smile as she departed. Did you recognise her, Mr Smith? I feigned ignorance, as my adopted character would most likely not have recognised her. Oh, I can't say as I did, sir. Who was she? That, Mr Smith, was Miss Elizabeth Bennet, though perhaps she thinks of herself as Mrs Darcy. It hadn't occurred to me to ask her. He did it at this. Sensing my puzzlement, he continued. She's a character from a very old novel, Jane Austen's Pride and Prejudice, and the self-service has now brought her to life. Sherlock Holmes will return in Episode 8, Part 2 of The Self-Service. If you have enjoyed this podcast, you might like to try others by the same writer and producer, such as Dear Old Blood, Notes on a Wittgenstein Noir, and Modern Gothic. The writer now has a cracking idea for a second series of Baker Street 2033. So, you could also consider supporting the writer at buymeacoffee.com slash Neil Fitzgerald.